This podcast is powered by the leading at the top of your game development experience. If you would like to work with Karen and the shockingly different leadership team to up-level the leadership execution acumen within your organization, visit developingyourgame.com to find out more. The two things that stood out to me were one was ideation. So the people who come up with the best ideas within organizations are connected to a bunch of people who are unconnected to each other. And then reach. So the best way to reach a bunch of people isn't necessarily to have a massive audience yourself. It's to be connected to people who are connected to a lot of people who are unconnected to each other. Welcome to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we equipped you to more effectively lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. Each week, we help you sharpen your leadership acumen by cracking open the playbooks of dynamic leaders who are doing big things in their professional endeavors. And now your host, leadership tactics and organizational development expert, Karen Farrell-Rhodes. Hey there, superstars. Thanks for joining another episode designed to help you better lead at the top of your game. You know, don't you just love collaborating and sharing ideas with others who are as smart as um, or even smarter than you yourself? You know, if so, then you may be interested in the concept of a peer network. The insightful and dynamic experience of peer networks makes them a sought after development and strategic support option for all levels and types of leaders. We even have a few peer networks uh, that we sponsor here at SDL, but it should should come to no surprise that CEO-level peer networks are in high demand due to the high-stakes nature of being a CEO and needing to surface and solve complex challenges that hold the fate of employees, the business, and customers in the palm of their hands. Today's guest is Matt Sitter a management consultant and the CEO of Advantage Foundry Network, also called AFN. AFN is a global peer network for CEOs of companies. And Matt's going to help us better understand what peer networks are, the value they create, and how to join one yourself if you're in the market. So after the episode, be sure to stay tuned for just two minutes to listen to my closing segment called Karen's Tape where I share a tip on how to use insights from today's episode to further sharpen your leadership acumen. And now, enjoy the show. Hey there, superstars. This is Karen, and welcome to another episode of the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast. I'm so pleased to have uh, both colleagues new and seasoned with us and tenured with us. Hopefully, you've been following the podcast, and if you haven't and you've stumbled across us, Please feel free to enjoy this episode and then subscribe so that you don't miss another uh, one of these. They always have great tidbits about leadership and leadership execution, and no two episodes are ever the same. But today, on today's show, I'm really pleased um, to have a guest who is intimately involved in a lot of CEO level conversations and um, and especially around leadership strategies or quagmires that they're facing. And we have on today's show, Matt Sitter. Matt is a management consultant and an executive coach, but he is also the CEO 
of Advantage Foundry Network, which is uh, affectionately known as AFN for short. It is a global peer network for CEOs. And he is going to share a little bit about both his company and what are some of the trends that, you know, CEOs are facing right now that are really keeping them up at night. So welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thanks, Karen. Good to be here. Oh, so happy to have you. So Matt, um, I'd love to start it off uh, by helping the audience know a little bit more about you. So as much as you feel comfortable, would you share just a sneak peek into your personal life and some of the things you love to do? Well, one of the things that I love to do, probably the thing that helps me reset more than anything else is I play water polo. I grew up playing water polo. And, you know, as a high school and college athlete did it, I am not a big guy. I'm about 5'8". And so I had to be quick. And now that I'm a little bit older, I am no longer quite as quick. So I have to rely on a little bit of savvy. But, you know, the the thing that is great for me is uh, I can't think about anything else when I'm doing it. I'm totally engaged. So it's a, really? it's a great way to do that and to get some exercise. And really actually probably dictated a lot of the ways that I think about the world is my experience with water polo, with athletics and everything that came out of it. Wow. Amazing. And what part of the country are you in? I live in San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, the Bay Area. Okay, wonderful. Well, my listeners know I'm based out of Atlanta, so we're doing the East Coast, West Coast thing, right, on the podcast. But I, I know water polo is very popular on the West Coast, so I, I do understand that, that love and desire. So let's uh, dive deep, uh, Matt, um, you know, and tell us a little bit more about AFN what it does and, um, you know, how it came to be of existence, in existence. Yeah. So AFN, it's, it's the culmination of a number of different things for me. Uh, in 2012, I went to work at an organization called the McChrystal Group. That was founded by General Stanley McChrystal and a number of his aides. And they were taking what they had done with Joint Special Operations Command. So, you know, all the folks that you hear about in the movies, Delta Force SEALs, yeah, CIA. they all got to work together. They don't necessarily communicate that well with each other, nor do they necessarily like each other. But they all got to be pointed at the same targets. And, you know, with the advent of the internet and cell phones, things had sped up a lot. Mm. And while I was there, that actually helped drive me into executive coaching and think about operations within businesses. But also, I was exposed to a number of defense, former defense intelligence analysts who really got me understanding network science and network analytics. And so that really started um, getting my brain pointed towards this idea of how do networks actually operate. And uh, there was an article I read in the Harvard Business Review that showed what some network signatures look like. So certain things that happen when networks looked a certain way within organizations. And the two things that stood out to me were one was ideation so the people who come up with the best ideas within organizations are connected to a bunch of people who are unconnected to each other. And then reach. So the best way to reach a bunch of people isn't necessarily to have a massive audience yourself. It's to be connected to people who are connected to a lot of people who are unconnected to each other, right? So gotcha. you have this ability to actually spread your message a lot further. Right. And so in thinking about... It's kind of that compounding effect. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and you don't have people just talking to each other, right? They're actually spreading the message further out. And mm-hmm. so I started thinking, if we were to design a network based on that, what would that look like? 
And then uh, interestingly, the pandemic was a boon for this because uh, Zoom and, you know, all forms of video teleconferencing, the way you and I are talking right now, I'd be talking the same way to someone across the street or mm-hmm. across the world. And yeah. so if we thought about how we could connect people globally, it just became a lot simpler to do. Mm-hmm. And I really believe one of my fundamental beliefs is there's no such thing as the smartest person in the room. Uh, everyone's good at a lot of different things. And so if you are exposing yourself to a diversity of experience, expertise, and perspective, you're going to come up with better ideas. You're going to be that ideator that can actually drive new information out there. And so building up the CEO network around this, you know, you think about leaders, they're, they got to be jack of all trades in some ways, but they came from somewhere. They've got expertise on something. And so getting them all together, they can be learning from each other in an environment where they don't have to feel like someone is worried about how they're going to get paid or something like that. This is all just like, hey, you're getting support from folks who understand the problems that you're in. And that's amazing. I do understand that because, you know, SDL is did a lot of human does a lot of human resources consulting for C, with CHROs and during the pandemic, you know, they were being hit left and right with both COVID having to manage COVID and messaging around that had to, uh, you know, g- uh, help guide their their organizations through the new hybrid and remote environments and you name it, you know, go down the list. But this is a time when executives were really heavily leaning either experts or each other to try to figure it out. Cause it was one time in history when we were all like spinning like the Tasmanian devil. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone was in the same boat and it yeah. was just like, okay, we got to figure out something. What have you tried? And yeah. there wasn't enough time for individuals to try out everything on their own. So if they could leverage yeah. the experience of other people, that was a huge help. So now I'm curious, how did you pull together your first group of C, well, I don't know if it's your first group, but your group of CEOs, because how do you know when they are ready to join a peer network? Yeah. So I do, you know, there are a number of large peer networks that are Already out there existence. that exist. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, everyone does slightly different stuff. I wanted to make sure that I was not focused on a hyper local aspect, that you weren't going to be tied specifically to the geography that you are in. Uh, and so, again, some of the technologies that existed uh, or tools that existed that we didn't have before. So LinkedIn is actually a great way to find a number of these CEOs that are out there, particularly in far-flung locations that I wouldn't have come across organically otherwise. And so being able to meet someone who's in Haiti or being able to meet someone who's in Africa or in the UK, you know, that was a way to actually create some introductions that I couldn't have looked at otherwise. And a lot of the value was saying like, hey, you know, I want to expose you to people who you wouldn't ordinarily be exposed to, but can do it in a time efficient manner. You can get a good ROI on your time. And ultimately, it starts striving towards you're getting referrals and things like that. So you really got to get some momentum going. But I would say LinkedIn was a primary tool that I looked at. Fantastic. So or your peer groups, what what is the target or ideal number of individual CEOs that are in a peer group together? Is it five or 50? You know, yeah. what's the ideal uh, for you? I like eight to 10. And, you know, when you think about interacting in a Zoom environment, I run all of mine out of Zoom. You do want to make sure that everyone is engaged and has an opportunity to talk. And when you think about two hours, that's the typical length of our meeting. 
two hours can go by pretty quick. And that means each person gets an average of like 10 minutes total that they get to speak. And so being able to make sure that everyone's ideas get incorporated into it and they feel good about contributing, 10 is good on that. Now, you know, what I like to do as well is I run subject matter expert discussions, usually a couple times a month where it's more of the type of format that you and I are doing right now, fireside chatish, but then CEOs can ask questions at the end. So they're not the star of the show. They're there to just take in information from it. Whereas the environment that I'm trying to create in our peer groups is they're actually actively discussing things together. Oh, wonderful. And are these CEOs from uh, smaller size firms or enterprise level or anything in between? (laughs) So, you know, the... I'll I'll answer your question from from a sideways manner. So I think (laughs) two characteristics that are really important for our CEOs are a that they don't feel like they're the smartest person in the room. They know they've got something to learn and that they want to scale their business. So typically, we don't look at folks who are mom and pop shops and want to stay that way. The revenue size that we've got more often than not is from a couple million dollars to hundreds of millions. I would say we don't get into when companies have billions of dollars in revenue. And, you know, the, but the challenges that you can find or the solutions that you find from people of all sorts of different businesses are interesting. And also, when you think about how just employee sets are changing, people are relying on contractors, gig workers, part time workers more. And so the number of employees that you have is no longer a good indication of how big you are or how big you can be. That is true. That is spot on. And that's, Seeing that as well. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of companies such as, you know, mine are supporting that when they do need some, you know, consulting or contract or interim help. And there's a huge need because the, the way the workforce looks now is nothing how it was five years ago or even almost three years ago, you know, right, right. Um, it just it changes uh, so dramatically. So, you know, and of course, we want to not name names because we want to protect the innocent. But Can you share with the audience members, like, what are some of the top trends or things that your CEOs are facing right now? Like, what are what's top of mind for them? Um, I mean, you know, some of the one of the easy ones, which you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, we were talking about. All right, how are you handling working from home? Now that we are past the pandemic, it's like, all right, what should the policy actually be when health and safety is not the only concern that you're thinking about where someone's work environment happens? So how are you making sure that people can get the right sort of interaction that they've got to optimize what you're trying to have happen within the organization? Topics that we talk about have a huge range, though. So as an example, compensation is a really interesting one where there's all sorts of different theories of compensation. Everyone's doing it a little bit differently. How should you actually be using equity compensation? How should you be setting what a base salary is? One person who is you know, an influence to me, he was talking about how he he only hires people in the 75th percentile wow. and doesn't pay them any bonuses or anything like that, but is reviewing that on a six-month basis so that they're always paid at the 75th percentile. Removes all the negotiation that you want to look at and removes the need to actually, if someone comes to you and say, hey, I can get paid some something somewhere else a lot more. And they're like, hey, thank you. Great. Be on your way. But also, it removes compensation from the development discussion. So it's, you know, if you're having the annual review with someone, they're waiting to find out what their raise is going to look like. Instead, this actually can focus on how can you get better 
and achieve what you want. And if that's a promotion, that's another way to get paid more. Now that that makes a lot of sense. I could, and I can actually understand the advantage of the company doing that. I know one of the things I'm seeing on the people side is that companies are taking a second look at their benefits packages because, you know, during the pandemic, when it was the wild, it still kind of is, but when it was the wild, wild west and the market, it was hard to find people for jobs. A lot of companies start offering everything under the sun, you know, to try to <laughs> entice and attract talent. And it, it, it was very pricey for a lot of organizations. Sure. And now, not that they want to reel it all the way back in, but they want to prioritize what is best or what is most desired by their employees and de-invest in things that people aren't quite using as frequently. It, have you heard any topics or have you all noticed any topics where they're trying to really understand the employee value proposition for their companies? So absolutely. And I think one of the things that's interesting, you know, if, well, there, there's a couple of things that happened during the pandemic. One was you also had inflation that was kicking off. And I would say this is yep. more the case in like the last year or so. Um, some of our CEOs actually looked at just giving a one-time dollar amount to their employees instead of actually giving them a raise because it was unclear how persistent inflation was going to be. And if you were increasing your costs overall, it was going to be difficult to dial back against that. I would say also, you know, as we're thinking about what really matters to employees, there's all sorts of things that matters to matter to different people. So in some cases, it's flexibility. In some cases, it's income. In some cases, it's, you know, the health insurance that you've got. Some of our CEOs have emphasized that they actually, when they want to reward people, they do it with experiences instead of just straight dollar amounts. So one of our CEOs, he's in the UK, he'll do a dinner to reward people a couple times a year. And it'll be for them and whoever they choose as their guest at a $1,000 a plate restaurant, right? Nice. So this is something, this is an experience that people are not going to spend money on otherwise, right? right. They'll choose all sorts of different ways that they want to do it, but you guarantee they're going to remember it. That's right. right. This, is, this is something that they are, you know, someone will say like, oh, I remember I got a bonus once. They're not going to remember the dollar value. They're probably not going to remember what they spent the money on, but no. they will remember that experience. And one of our folks, a different person than the, uh, who is the one that I just mentioned, she also focuses on experiences, but they have what they call, I think they call it a dream bubble. And so people can mm. put in, in the beginning of the year, they're like, hey, if, if I am deserving of some sort of reward, here's the type of thing that I would want to get, right? And so that actually uh, can be hyper-personalized towards the person and something they would never ever want to buy for themselves, but if they got it, they would be over the moon. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, so I stole a different version of that uh, back when I was in uh, corporate. My last big gig was at uh, Microsoft, as my listeners know, but I did the same thing that I would ask those that you know, I worked with, you know, if they had their nirvana of, of an employee reward, what would that be? And so definitely kept those and tried to reward yeah. them another way they'd like, or, and, or I would listen and pay attention to meetings so that they would talk about an activity that they love with them and their family or somewhere they went and made notes. So it's, you know, it's those little things like that, <laughs> that we yeah, have to listen for. <laughs> people will tell you what's important to them. They you just will. Listen, right? That's right. So you gotta listen. I think we've got to be masters of communication. We've got to be students of 
of the human condition. Like what's That's going right. on with people? What, what is, what's happening with them? What really gives them joy? Absolutely. And even chatterboxes like me can learn how to <laughs> click on those active listening skills to make sure, you know, things are, you know, you're, you're really paying attention to uh, folks. And speaking of listening to others, you know, we had a, a moment to chat before we started the podcast and you had shared with me that one, the tactic that most stood out for you out of my book were, was the tactic of leading with stakeholder savvy. And as my listeners know, stakeholder savvy is the sister tactic to emotional intelligence. You know, it's all about really listening and understanding others, the diversity perspectives, changing maybe your approaches or what you do based on the environment that you're in. You know, there might be some way you will perform or act or speak or focus on when you're in a sales conversation and then another one when you're having cocktails, you know, with your office mates. So uh, tell me why having a great acumen and stakeholder savvy is meaningful for you. Well, uh, I would say this in particular is interesting. So a another line of effort that I'm working on right now is around chiefs of staff. Uh-huh. And so chiefs of staff, pretty interesting position, was mostly, I would say, military and government related and has found its, its way into the private sector a lot more, mm-hmm. but is often not so tightly defined. So these people, like the expectation is they're working for the CEO or some major person within the business. And they say, hey, just make things better for me. Right. And so I have been hosting along with a couple of friends, what we call chief of staff office hours on Fridays, where we get chiefs of staff together and we can talk about, hey, what do you, what should you be doing within your job? And when you don't have a lot of direction on exactly what should you should be doing, what should happen around it? And one of the identities that we've outlined is this idea of being the chief network officer. So mm-hmm. the chief of staff understanding what tribes occur within a business, right? So you've got these different groups that associate with each other that feel some sort of belonging to each other. Maybe it's finance versus sales, something like that. What alliances and rivalries do they have? So as chief network officer, you've got to have the savvy to understand that. But also, like we were talking about before, if you're really listening to folks and understanding what they want and what gives them some juice, what gets them excited, that can help you moderate how you are having discussions with them. And the chief of staff, a lot of times their job is to help people connect the dots. That's right. And so if you're doing a better job connecting the dots, speaking the language that is relevant to the person and that those things that appeal to them the most, yeah. you're going to be able to go a lot further. That's right. And we always talk about in our workshops by having a high degree of an acumen in, in that area that it, in essence, earns you the right to be heard by those you're trying to target, right? And once you do that, then you can, you know, kind of take it to the next level from there. But you got to first get that that buy-in of interest. So um, I think we're we're talking yeah. on the same wavelength. <laughs> Agree, one hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Matt, as the leader of your firm, what does it take for you to lead at the top of your game? You know, I would say I'm I'm fortunate, and a lot of the things that I get to do are things that just appeal to me. Like I am. Uh, intellectually curious, right? I want to understand what's going on in other people's heads. I don't have any illusions that I'm the smartest person in the room. I like to hear what the really smart people have to say in their areas. And I get to be someone who pulls in that information and distributes it. I think that, you know, always thinking about what the priorities are within the business, that's the hard things. What are those things that you have to do versus those things that you want to do? 
and making sure that those things are getting taken care of. The things that you feel like you have to do, but don't want to do, you'll avoid them. So how do you make sure that you're actually working around those? And I would say the thing that gets me really excited is just being able to introduce people together who they would not have connected otherwise, and something great happens between them. And that's something I get to do all the time. So that's pretty exciting. That is amazing. Well, what is one thing that is going on at uh, AFN that you're very excited for, like in the next, I don't know, six to 12 months? What's on the horizon for you? uh, You know, I would say there's there's always something exciting going on. So there's always new challenges that pop up. And I think that that's always interesting. We have, uh, like I said, we've got subject matter experts that we pull in all the time that are helping us learn more about things. Uh, one of the things I'm looking at incorporating into AFN, it's called the Leadership Network Diagnostic. And that actually helps people evaluate what their smaller networks look like. And are they sufficiently open? Are they deep? Are they diverse? Are they those things that are going to help you in your career? And so being able to take some of these tools that are unusual out there and helping people to reframe how they're looking at the people that are around them that are really important. That is so spot on and so needed. It's not an area that's really discussed in depth. I'll just say in my career experience and in the corporate world, it's not a part of formal training and less to a lesser extent in smaller mom and pop companies, you know, because they're just trying to stay stay together and stay uh, viable. So well, the easy button on assessments that people typically do are things where it's like either your ability Yes. Or this is what my personality looks like, which those are tremendously valuable, right? But yeah. how you actually work with other people, what are the types of people that you're actually pulling in to be your knowledge net? Yeah. That matters a lot. And that is something that people, like you said, don't get formal training on. They've got, yeah. they kind of figure it out as they go. And it's something that if you've got some concepts in place, you can actually do a better job around it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So and I hope this is not a gotcha question. So I might, you know, take some time if you need to think about it. But I want you to think about a leader or a brand that you like or admire. Uh, it can be a person, it can be a business, it can be an entity or, or what have you, but some entity or person, a uh, business that has just by the way of their operation has earn the right of your followership because they are such a leader in their area especially. Is there one that pops for you that you would not mind sharing? And to well, tell I don't why? know if this is 100% the direction that you wanted to go. <laughs> but so, you know, my dad was a tremendous inspiration yeah. for me. He yeah. uh, had a business in the technology space. He made cables for the back of networking equipment, right? So the stuff that you get for your internet wow. routers and stuff like that, he was making cables for that. So you always call it the low tech end of the high tech business. And I like that. in and of itself, I don't know, I don't think that that business is necessarily inspirational, yeah. but how he led made a big difference. You know, the, the people who were doing a lot of the manufacturing, they were, a lot of them were not from the United States originally. They were coming to the United States. English was their second language. And you know, as immigrants, they didn't always have all of the opportunities around them or all the knowledge that was there. And so he actually put in place things like an English as a second language class. He had banks come and actually present to the groups so they could actually see the value of having a bank account around what they were doing. And he was wow. consistently providing opportunities to folks 
within this. So it was like, hey, how can I actually do something that can be inspirational to my business or that can make a difference for people? And I just think uh, the amount that he gave and was willing to put himself out there for other people, I think shine through in the commitment that they had back to him. And, you know, I'd say that one of my aspirations is to make as big a difference in some people's lives as he made in some of the people that worked with him. Oh, well, I just want to salute your father and the impact that he made uh, on you. And that was the perfect answer. Uh, Mine is my father as well, as people know. So we're right on, on there. So thank you so much for the gift of that story and help and tying that into what is making you so great and what you're doing at AFN, you and your team. That's absolutely fantastic. So before we close, Matt, I I wanted to give you an opportunity to share uh, if how people, number one, can get in touch with you. And then number two, when you may be opening up for a new peer class uh, of CEOs at AFN and and how they can get on a wait list for you. Yeah, absolutely. So easiest way to, to find me probably is through LinkedIn. And uh, we mentioned my name. My last name is Sitter, just like babysitter. Yeah. Uh, I once heard that it is a lot easier to remember that someone is a baker than their last name is Baker. So just picture a guy sitting down and you'll be able to remember my name. There you go. Um, <laughs> our website is afn.global, no.com or anything like that, just afn.global. Okay. Uh, and we are slotting people in and out of groups all the time. And we're looking at how people gel together consistently. I would say this is one of the benefits of us being a global organization as well is that we've got the capability to bring together groups that it doesn't rely on us, you know, just looking at a specific geographical area. So if people are interested in joining, uh, they could either contact me directly through LinkedIn or my email address is matt at afn.global or they can go to our website and fill out a form there. And I'd say also if people are interested in the chief of staff, uh, stuff that I mentioned, more than happy to talk about that too. Fantastic. Well, listeners, we will have links to all of this that um, Matt mentioned, how to get in touch with him and everything. I can tell you he's very approachable, extremely helpful. And you might even have, if it's not right for you, you might have colleagues who could definitely use uh, a tremendous peer network, uh, such as the venue and the, and the form format that uh, AFN provides. So, Matt, thank you so much uh, for being on today's podcast. Um, I was busy writing notes um, so that I can go back and and re-listen. We had so many great tips and continue to do the great work you're doing at AFN because the CEOs are the ones who are guiding the companies who are impacting our communities every day. And even they need, you know, the air cover for a network, you know, to kind of have rich conversations and and learn new things. And you're providing that. And that's a true gift to us. So we thank you. Thanks, Karen. It was awesome to talk to you. Awesome. All right, listeners. Well, once again, be sure to share the podcast uh, with your family and friends and colleagues. If you haven't subscribed yourself, please do so. And we're going to have another enticing episode next week. So be sure to uh, come back and, and listen then. You all have a wonderful rest of your evening and we will see you next week. Take care. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today with Matt Sitter, CEO of Advantage Foundry Network. Links to his bio, his entry into our leadership playbook, 
And additional resources can be found in the show notes, both on your favorite podcast platform of choice and on the web at leadyourgamepodcast.com. And now for Karen's take on today's topic of peer network. You should know that peer networks are not just for CEOs. There are many that are focused on your current career stage or profession. Participating in a peer network can help you develop each of the seven leadership tactics that came out of my research. But today, I want to connect how peer networks can help you specifically develop the tactic of leading with strategic decision-making. And as you all know, strategic decision-making is your ability to make good decisions yourself or lead a good decision-making process with others based on your top strategic goals and priorities. As leaders, we face tough decisions every day, some more risky than others. However, bouncing ideas off of others and listening to a diversity of perspectives definitely increases the chances that you will not be blindsided by unforeseen obstacles. The data and insights you gain from participating in a great peer network can be invaluable, especially when your job or business is on the line. Just one word of caution, everyone. Not all peer networks are created equal. They vary in design and effectiveness So be sure to do your research to find a good one for yourself if you're in the market. The research on leadership effectiveness proves that high-achieving individuals such as yourself develop faster when collaborating with other high-achieving individuals. So be sure to evaluate whether the caliber of your potential peer network is where it needs to be. Your time is precious. So be sure to do the due diligence needed to make sure your participation in a peer network is a win-win. If you're interested in exploring peer networks further, I will include links to a few of them in the show notes. And then lastly, be sure to remember to subscribe to the podcast and share the podcast with just one friend. Performing this one selfless act will empower you to help others to also lead at the top of their game. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we help you lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. You can check out the show notes, additional episodes, bonus resources, and also submit guest recommendations on our website at leadyourgamepodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for the name Karen Rhodes with Karen being spelled K-A-R-A-N. And if you like the show, the greatest gift you can give would be to subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast platform of choice. This podcast has been a production of Shockingly Different Leadership, a global consultancy which helps organizations execute their people, talent development, and organizational effectiveness initiatives on an on-demand project or contract basis. Huge thanks to our production and editing team for a job well done. Goodbye for now.